All right, all right. We're here in the Gospel of Mark once again. We're at the what's fixing to be kind of the midway point of the book as we get ready to talk about Mark chapter 8. Are you ready to go? Let's get after it. All right, Mark chapter 8 and in verse 1, we're told that in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Now, the expression that's used there, we're talking here about, of course, the name Jesus is not mentioned there. Uh, maybe we ought to just say that for the record. We're talking about Jesus. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the he here. Um, and who is this Jesus guy? <laughs> yeah, uh, just go back and listen to, to episodes 1 through 7 to find that out. Um, but the crowds are following Jesus again, Mark says. And uh, Jesus has been in Gentile territory back in the previous chapter, in chapter 7. And uh, where he's at now, uh, he uses the expression there at the end of verse 3, some of these people have come from far away. Uh, lots of times that term far away and the derivatives of it is used to describe uh, people from Gentile lands. Hmm. Um, and so since he'd been in Gentile territory before in chapter 7, there's a good chance then that maybe means that this crowd is probably a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And so he's got all kinds of different people that are following him. This is how far his fame has uh, spread abroad. And... Uh, it seems like, if you've read this chapter and if you've been following along already in the Gospel of Mark, it seems like what's about to happen is a little bit of deja vu um, because there's just a lot of components that are the same to what we read about in chapter 6. So Jesus has got some hungry people here. They've been following Him for a number of days. Um, Jesus says, I have compassion upon these people. He's very much following the same pattern as chapter 6 was. Yes. And he then tells the disciples, okay, uh, we, we, I, I need you guys to help me. Let's get some food for these folks. Um, and just like in chapter 6, we're going to get a faithless response from the disciples. Because the disciples, when they had 5,000 people to deal with, they said, you know, how in the world are we going to be able to do this, Jesus? This is impossible. We're, I mean, we've got, you know, just a little bit of money, and it's only going to go so far, and there's so many people. And we're once again going to get a faithless response. And I want to say something about that again in just a second, but let's actually just notice what they say. Verse 4, his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Hey, Jesus, we're out here in the middle of a, you know, the wilderness here. How are we, how are we going to be able to... to to, to feed these people. There's just, it's just impossible. There's last no time, last time we had some stuff that you made into a lot of stuff. This time we don't have any stuff, Jesus. Yeah. Well, the truth is they do have some stuff because okay. Jesus then says, verse 5, true, he asks true. them, how many loaves do you have? And they say, seven. So we've got, <laughs> it's still what looks to be, if you're looking through physical eyes, you have what appears to be an impossible situation. But how do they not get this? Yeah, and, 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 and that's where we are. That, that's kind of the amazement on our part that like, you know, how could they have such a faithless response when they've already seen a miracle of, of really the same kind once before with even more people? You know, we're going to be having 4,000 people here. We had 5,000 before. 4,000 people. Jesus is going to be able to take a very little and he's going to make a lot. The people are going to be filled. There's going to be leftovers. All follows the exact same pattern as the previous miracles. And yet, the disciples uh, have a very faithless attitude and outlook toward the whole thing. I think they're going to get to know that. Uh, I mean, we've been noticing different stuff about Jesus. You know, compassion, strength, things of that nature. And I think the temptation might be reading through this. And my temptation was to be just, you know, just skim over it and just not, not really read it. I mean, it's the same thing almost. Yeah. But consistency. Jesus is consistent. He can do it, and he can do it again, and he can do it again, and 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 then that's probably annoying by that point, but he can. Yeah. <laughs> and, in well, and there's consistency on the, on the disciples' part, too, here. Consistent it's, failure. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not a good consistency, but there is consistency here in the sense that, like, they are still spiritually dull. I think that was the word that I used uh, in, in the previous chapter when we talked about this. Yes, sir. Um... 
it just it just goes to show that these guys, all right, they've probably come a long way. I mean, the fact that they had left everything and they're following Jesus, all right, that's a that's a huge thing. They've made some huge strides, and Jesus has helped bring them along in their understanding. But they still have a lot yet to learn and a lot yet to understand and a lot yet to develop. Like I said, they're just not seeing things through a spiritual set of eyes just yet. Right. They're still thinking in physical terms. They're still thinking of um, in terms of just the way human thinking goes. And they're just not thinking bigger and beyond as they yeah. should. Um, so let's actually just let's notice it. Verse 6, Jesus directs the crowd to sit down on the ground took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke it, gave them to the disciples set before the people, and set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces that were left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. So uh, we have here just kind of, like I said, it, it seems like a, a repetition, but um, th- this probably needed to happen because what's going to happen is, is it's going to kind of cause Jesus to get to a point here when we get to the end of this chapter where he's really going to push the disciples hard. Like, come on, guys, you've you, you got to get with it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 got you to, I need you to start seeing things in a, in, in, a, in a bigger picture way and look beyond physical here and now sort of things. Right, and pause because... Again, we've talked about this lately, you and I, about our evangelism and not not just evangelism, but edification efforts in in these four walls of of you know our congregation when people come. Uh, we have the tendency to just want that boom right now result of like growth or a baptism or somebody mm-hmm. to repent from this sin. We're trying to you know get them to this, this struggle that they're having to overcome. We just want to see it like right then and there, but in reality. Jesus spent a lot of time working these disciples to the point that th- that they're going to get at later on in the chapter. And yeah. right here, this is the point where a lot of us would be like, "Man, I have, you know, I've 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 come over and studied the Bible with you uh, 10, 15 times and they they still haven't obeyed the gospel. I'm just going to give up." Yeah. You know, or, or or something along those natures. Yeah, and well, and Jesus is I, I don't know exactly where we are in the timeline, but we're getting close. To the end of, I mean, we're only eight chapters in, but Mark's kind of given a a, a a briefer version of the three years that Jesus essentially spent with these guys. So by this point, I'm guessing we, we're maybe already two and a half years into the into the training program, if you will. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know, so imagine the frustration that he must have felt. You know, we noticed back in the last chapter, Jesus sighed at a particular incident, and here in just a second, he's going to sigh again. Not necessarily at the disciples. But but it's something that the Pharisees do. But it, it it probably is representative of probably how Jesus did feel many times with these guys of just mm-hmm. you know Father help me here you know <laughs> give me the strength and the patience to keep bearing with these guys exactly um, and think of how often he must do that with us every day. Oh, that's hard to think about. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a painful thought when you start thinking about that personally. Um, so, all right. So, so verse ten. Uh, immediately, he gets but we in, need to. We need to. We need to. Do we it. do. We yeah. do. Uh, verse ten. Immediately, he gets into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. That's an interesting name of a place. It's the only place that this is mentioned in the the New Testament. It's believed to be on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, for those of you that are geography nerds about this kind of stuff. Uh, verse 11, what is he greeted with? Verse 11, the Pharisees came and they began to argue with him. Oh, yeah, surprise, surprise. Wow. <laughs> began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Here comes the truth squad. The, the truth squad is back <laughs> and they specifically are asking for a sign from heaven. Now, well, let's just go ahead and notice verse 12. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and he got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Okay, now hold on a minute. He's done a lot of miracles and wonders and signs. What does that mean? Does that mean they just won't see the sign for what it is? I think that's very, and, and using the term see, that they won't see, mm-hmm. that's probably the language we probably ought to use, considering what's going to happen uh, here in just a couple minutes. 
um, the, the miracle that's going to be performed before this chapter is over because I do think if there's a theme for this chapter, the theme is you know, sight and blindness. And right here we've got some folks who are just blind and they don't want to see. I remember uh, hearing, or maybe I read it in a commentary or read it in an article at some point, uh, but somebody was talking here about uh, the Pharisees asking for a sign, and they said, these guys are spiritually blind. Blind people can't see signs. Yeah. And that's exactly right. These guys have seen you know, countless miracles. They've heard of probably even many more, but they have seen miracles up close and personal that they were not able to deny, you know, that they even acknowledged, oh, well, yeah, that was clearly a miracle. But do you remember before who they claimed those miracles were the working of? Satan. Yeah, Satan. He's working by Beelzebub here. So think about it. Even if Jesus had done a miracle for them, there's probably a pretty good chance, oh, you just, that's, just, that's just another devil miracle. To them, it's like that's not a sign. Yeah. Um, so it's like Jesus realizes it, 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 it's not going to do any good here. You know, my inclination, if I'd have been there in that moment, if I'd have been one of the disciples, and I'd have saw these guys coming up saying... Check this out. Here's a meteor. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jesus just, you know, caused the Sea of Galilee to dry up, or, yeah. you know, move Mount Carmel over there, or make these guys levitate on command or yeah. something. Yeah, um, But Jesus is able to see what we're not able to see, and that is He's able to see the the hardness of their hearts, and He's able to also see the fact that they're they're spiritually blind. These guys are not genuine, and they're not sincere uh, as they come asking for a miracle. In fact, the text just tells us they ask for this sign to test him. And that's mm -hmm. the key here in verse 11. They're testing Jesus. They're wanting him to do something for them on their terms. They're pressing Jesus to conform uh, to their ideas and to their mold. And Jesus just isn't going to have any uh, of that kind of stuff. Jesus realizes, I am not a circus act. You know, I do not do miracles for performance or yeah. uh, on command like this. In fact, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22 where Paul just echoes this problem. He says the Jews always are demanding a sign. And that just seems to historically have been a problem for uh, many of the Jews and especially these particular sects. Um, but these guys aren't asking for a sign because they you know, are, are true seekers. With a really, I think they're really looking for a reason not to believe. Yeah, you know, and that's why that th those people, like the people that we read about, where Jesus did miracles, they do ask him for those miracles, and they're they're asking for those. But like you pointed out astutely, it's the genuineness of their heart when they ask for for those things. Right. Right. That that, that it's like, I if you want to, if you will, you can make me clean like way back in the beginning of the book. And then Jesus says, I want to, or I will yeah. be clean. And there's no resistance from Jesus because he knows that they're not trying to make him a dancing monkey and, and, and serve them. They're, they want to serve him and, and do what he wants to do, but they also want to receive that the, the miraculous stuff that he has going on. I, I, thinking about this, the, the idea that they're trying to kind of press Jesus into the mold that they want him and essentially um, kind of, you, you, know, you, you submit to us here, in yeah. a sense. And I wonder how often maybe we, we, we get guilty of doing the same thing, where we try to you know, selfishly uh, press God into the mold we want Him and to submit to us and to make it, make it to where it, it's what we like and what, it's what we want. I'll give you just an easy example. Here's a softball example, and maybe you'll think of a better one. Mm -hmm. But just think of how many times you've heard people leave a worship service and say something along the lines very selfishly, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Yeah. That didn't do anything for me. You know, as, as if that's what this is all about. You know, God doesn't have anything to prove to us. Right. You know? Amen. It, it, like, as if, you know, people left that day and God's up there like, oh, man, I, I really wish I could have given them what they wanted today. I wanted them to have a good time, man. Yeah. Um, In a sense, He does want us to enjoy our, our worship emotionally, but that's like... It's a side burner. effect. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a byproduct of us coming for the right reasons, do it for the right reasons. And that's just one example. There's all kinds of ways in which all of us, probably on a daily basis... What we try to take, the, whether it's the scriptures or just our mental image of God, and we try to press Him into what we want Him to be instead of us just conforming and falling in line to Him. This is the problem of the Israelites that when they made the, the golden calf, you know, I oftentimes say this, uh, the, the calf, it, it could be measured. 
and it, it's something that they created in mm-hmm. a mold that they literally they molded it. Yeah. So they could they that made them comfortable because it was within reach and they could understand its composition and what all it was and they could say you it's know, ours. This, yeah, this is ours. This is it, rather than like we we belong to this, yeah. which is kind of the and and God is ours in one sense and that and that we're adopted into His family and He's our Father, but. Uh, it's something that we can control and mm-hmm. that we know the origin of and we understand and it's physical. And that's the religious problem. I mean, you're kind of talking about in-house. You know, I didn't get anything out of that worship service. Out in the world, it's encoded in everyone's language. Well, at my church, yeah. this is how we do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, my pastor, this is what he says. And it's my, my, me, 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 I, I, I. And it ultimately comes down to what what's comfortable for me, yeah, and even and people take that and then they violate God's commands in the name of me and I and self comfort and that's just idolatry is what it is with capital I. Yeah, and just imagine, <laughs> just putting a visual to the to the response to that. If we take what Jesus's response was, that when God sees that, he leaves and gets into the boat and goes to the other side. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> In a spiritual sense, that's 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 what that's, God thinks of that. He doesn't want any part of it. He yeah. doesn't want any part of it. That's a really funny image. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, but it's really sad, actually. Like, yeah. That's man. Um, that, that's true. Yeah. So Jesus does. He gets in the boat, and goes to the other side. Now, Jesus is actually gonna turn this encounter with these spiritually blind Pharisees into a good teaching moment, or at least what could have been a really good teaching moment for the disciples. All right. So we've already noticed here a little bit earlier the disciples. Got some spiritual dullness going on, not really seeing like they should. And so Jesus wants to kind of capitalize on that. So verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. This is, I assume we're in the boat. And they forgot to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Oh, okay, yes, yeah, so they were in the boat. Yes. Verse 15. So Jesus used this to say, caution them saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of of Herod. Leaven, of course, yeast would maybe be the word we'd be more accustomed to. That's important when you're thinking about bread. And so Jesus kind of just capitalizes on, you know, all right, thinking here about bread, so I'm going to say something about bread. Watch out, beware of the leaven or the bread, if you will, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no Bread. Yeah. You fool. <laughs> Just completely <laughs> right over the head. You know, Jesus is trying to make a spiritual application yeah. here, uh, talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. And actually, the leaven of Herod, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Think about it. in Luke 23, when Jesus is brought before Herod, Herod demands the same thing that the Pharisees demanded, which was a sign. Yeah. And so I think maybe Jesus was kind of forwardly looking to thinking about the idea of, of, of Herod. So that's the idea here, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, this demanding of signs. And Jesus says, just be, be careful around these yeah. people. Watch out for these folks because their mind is not in the right place and they're not uh, spiritually minded people. And this just goes right over their heads. Can I just say this? And this just popped into my head. Like... How many times have we personally? Because I was I was first thinking about everybody else, and I apologize to everyone, anybody who's ever I've, I've ever thought this about. But I'll be trying to get a spiritual conversation out of somebody, and it'll be like pulling teeth. You know, you'll tr- say something like what Jesus said that kind of relates to the situation, but then it loops back around, and then they're like, "Well, yeah, the weather sure is nice." <laughs> yeah, and you know, yeah. it just completely. Well, like I've thought, of, I, I just had this thought. How many times have we been in the disciple shoes and somebody's trying to deliver to us like a wham bang, like awesome spiritual application, and we're just like, just totally miss what they're trying to show us? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I remember having this is several years ago. We were having a study with 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 a fella, and we had been talking about how you know the Bible is is the inspired word of God and trying to just establish the yes. authority of Scripture. And we just went through we went through all these different verses and kind of trying to show the, the, the chain of the authority of God's word. And kind of at the end of all, it wasn't really at the end of all that, but we kind of got to a moment where it was like, all right, man, what, what do you think about this? And he said, hmm. Yeah, I've been sitting here thinking, what's the word Bible mean? <laughs> and that's... You know, that's man, kind of the same thing here with the with the apostles. Like, yeah. you know, we're we're 
you know, what about that bread, man? Who, where is we forgot the bread? Can you believe this? And it's like we are talking about the meaning of life right now. Yeah. Um, well, but yes, yeah. you're 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 right though to point out that like we've probably done it. We've done that too. It's not just a, everybody else has that problem. We have that problem as well. And in sermons too, we'll we'll get into the same mindset. Where oh we'll yes. be like everybody else. Yeah. Or we'll be like, man. That was such a good point about uh, the political climate right now, and it was like they were trying to make a spiritual application or yeah. something, and we just that's all. And it, it, this is where I can feel Jesus's pain, where I've preached a sermon on you know whatever the subject may be, and somebody comes and they want to talk to me after services about the lesson, and all they have to tell me about is you know some little fifteen second you know reference I made in there or a, an application. They're point like, this. I loved Inception. It was one of the best movies so far, man. Let me tell you. And I, I'm gonna say, people, people, you can approach us and say things like that. It's fine. It is fine. But, but please listen to the sermons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, these guys just, uh, like I said, it's just right over their head, and it, it really just what it says is it's it just shows that their repeated exposure to Jesus day in and day out to the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing, just had really not led them to really stop and reflect upon like the true spiritual significance of all the stuff that they're seeing and hearing. Mm -hmm. This is more than just a, a, a dazzling miracle worker. This is more than just an amazing orator. This is, there's, there's substance behind this, and you guys need to, to think about this. And who is this guy? Yeah, I just guess. who is this person? That's right. Um, we'll find out later. It, well, hopefully we will <laughs> here in just a second. Um, but yeah, so once again, these guys, are, they've got some faith. They are following Jesus. But they still have a long way to go in their 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 maturation and in their spiritual sight. Yeah. They're they're further. We'll give them this. They're further along than the Pharisees were. If those guys are blind, the Pharisees, mm -hmm. then the disciples would be. They're they, they got some sight. Yeah, they're starting to see some things. They're starting to see some things, but they're just not all the way there. So that then brings us to this. Since we're talking about sight, it brings us to this miracle in verse twenty-two. Uh, in verse 22, well, actually, we haven't even finished up this particular section. Let's just look at Jesus' response, actually. Verse yeah. 17, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? He's quoting here from Jeremiah, the fifth chapter. Do you not remember? Actually, I really am glad Jesus says that in verse 18 about do you not remember? Yeah. That just kind of highlights for me the importance of committing to memory, you know, the things that God has given to us in His Word and being able to recall those things so that we're able to then, you know, carry on and be the kind of people He wants us to be. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, there's a call back to chapter 6, when I did that, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And he said, now the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, don't you understand? Aren't you getting it, guys? There's, there's real substance here to what's going on here, and you're just not getting it. You're concerned about the physical, what's being left, and the numbers. And, and it's kind of the same problem that the Pharisees were having, too. Of like the, They were looking at numbers and, and, and quotas and things like that. But like you said, there's, there's a, a spiritual underlying message here and it's it's just Christ it's who he is yeah and and he is the bread he is the bread yeah and yeah. they they just they they're worried about this loaf and he's sitting there and they need to be enamored with him and be asking him questions you know by by what authority do you do this and things of that nature and they're just like man where are we going to get this bread yeah <laughs> the bread will be taken care of yes. if you'll just focus on the bread yeah um yeah seek him first all right, so so they they've got some a lack of clarity going on in their vision, and that brings us now to this this miracle with a blind man. Now, this is an interesting um, miracle for a couple reasons. One, Mark's gospel is the only gospel that records this particular miracle, and then there's another interesting facet to it. Let's just read about it, verse 22. So they come to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, so this is a little bit of like what we saw back in the last chapter. He does the spitting on the ground and some of that stuff. That, so that's not totally unique. 
So Jesus does that, lays his hands on him, and he asks him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, some people have looked at this and have wondered, all right, is there, was there a power shortage here on Jesus' yeah. part? You know, so he went to healing the first time and like he just wasn't able to do it all the way. You know, so now it's going to take him a second try to get the man fully healed. Um, that's not the problem here, or that's not what's going on here. Yeah, Jesus intentionally, I believe, heals the man only partially. Uh, I think he does that on purpose, and he's performing this miracle in this way. Probably, if for nobody else, for the benefit of the disciples. Yeah. And certainly for the benefit of us today to convey the spiritual reality because what Jesus is doing here is he's really illustrating for us what really are the, the, the situations that we just read about and he's putting it in, in kind of in some physical terms. He's reflecting the three different conditions that can exist. So this man is brought to Jesus and in his condition that he comes in when he's brought to him, he's what? He's totally blind. Totally blind. Then he puts his hands on him, does the spit thing, and does that the first time. And what's the condition of the man then? Kind of blind. He's kind of blind. He can see some, but he can't see entirely clearly. Then when he puts his hands on him that second time uh, and opens up his eyes, what's his condition then? Fine. He's fine. He's able to see very, very clearly. Now, think about those three conditions and where all the different characters in this story would fit from a spiritual standpoint. The Pharisees... Totally blind. Totally blind. They they're, in that, they're in that first condition. Uh, and, and the fact that they're blind is, here's the one difference, they're blind because... They want to be. They want to be. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see. They just don't care. They're not truly seeking after truth and uh, the, the vision that they need. Uh, they are in spiritual darkness, and that is of their own choosing. And they'll never receive that healing or the sign that yeah. they want. Yeah. Then so then he so then Jesus puts his hands on him, does the spit thing, and he's able to see a little bit. Oh, I see some people. Looks like, but they look kind of like trees. And that represents who in the story? The disciples, for sure. Yeah, that's the disciples. Here's some guys that all right. They've got some partial vision. They've they've got some understanding, but they're still lacking some understanding. They've learned some stuff, but they still got some stuff to learn. Uh, There's just some. I'm going to just use that term again that I've used a couple times. There's just some spiritual dullness. To yeah. their vision. Maturity has got to happen. That's right. It's not quite 2020, but that's hopefully what we're working toward. And that is the last category, being able to clearly see. And that is where this man is now, able to clearly see. He wants to see. He's, 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 he's been begging and seeking to have uh, that kind of sight. He's granted that clarity. This is a guy that's got spiritual, you know, uh, he's got he's got he's got sight like he needs and that's what we're looking for and that is spiritual 2020 right um it, I, I'm just gonna, gonna make this point about the that second category that middle category um, there's a sense in which it's okay if we're in that middle category with the disciples yeah where we only have partial vision you think about every new convert who comes up out of the water I mean that's where they are you know I think they're not in darkness yeah They've got some vision, but they don't have complete 2020. I think in in some areas, I'm still. It would depend on the day. I mean, I think I'm still in that second category. Oh yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is, all of us. And I don't know that any of us will ever get to full 2020 vision uh, in this lifetime. mm -hmm. Um, But we certainly ought to be much closer to 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 that uh the older that we get than we should be you know to to blindness i don't know i think sometimes it depends on kind of the way you're using the metaphor and not to say that anyone becomes like divine or in any moment is as perfect as christ but i think sometimes we are in that 2020 where we just see absolutely clearly like this is the right thing to do and you just do it and you know and it's for god and I think that happens, and, and those moments feel amazing, like moments yeah. like that, yeah. where, where you're just like, I'm doing the will of the Lord right now. And it, That's right. And, but my point is, nobody is expected uh, to have that kind of spiritual clarity, you know, as soon as they become a Christian, yeah, yeah. or right away. But here's the thing, we cannot ever remain satisfied 
to be in that category. Yeah, just be blurry all the time. Yes, that's right. You uh, stumble into some location you don't want to be in. That's right. And and that's where, and th- 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 that really is the dividing line between people who are mediocre and weak pew fillers mm-hmm. and people who are really striving to, you know, to, for excellence in the kingdom. I've, I mean, I've felt that way before sometimes, like maybe for like stretches of time where I kind of am rubbing my eyes and I'm just like a zombie, you know, spiritually. I've felt that before and gotten a funk. And uh, I'm so glad that I, I've come out on the other side of that. And mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I know that there's people out there now who who may be in that category where they're just kind of going through the motions. And, yeah. it's, and you don't grow in that situation time is not yielding growth and honestly you're degrading in that situation that's actually the truth you're actually you're you're taking step backward your side is getting worse Mm -hmm. um yeah uh so jesus is trying to he's certainly trying to push his disciples toward that third category toward spiritual maturity and what happens next is they're going to get the opportunity to do some of that in caesarea philippi so verse 27 Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Quick note right here. This is as far north as Jesus will ever go. If you're plotting all these places on a map, it is as far north as he's going to go <coughs> because everything from this point forward yeah. is moving toward Jerusalem. Okay. We are actually spiraling toward um, the cross now. Mm-hmm. Um, all the steps are intentionally, we're, we're working our way toward Jerusalem after Caesarea Philippi. So comes to Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Here we go, guys. This is the midpoint, too. This is the pivot. Yes, yes. It's, a, it's, it's kind of the... This is the centerpiece of Mark's gospel. Yeah. And, and, like, probably, you know, if I'm holding my Bible up, it is right about in the middle of Mark's gospel, if I'm just kind of looking at yeah. all the real estate there. Um, and, and so it's placed perfectly. Oh, I'm about to get chills. Yeah. <laughs> Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. Hmm. And he asked them, okay, that's, that's what people are saying. And, and probably it's understandable why people would give those different answers. And just like in the religious world today, there's a lot of different opinions going around yeah. about different things. Well, but in this particular case, yeah. uh, like... There were certainly shades of John the Baptist in Jesus because yeah. they were both preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Elijah because he's a you know he's a mighty miracle worker and he brings these messages from God that only a a a, a, a man of God could or some other prophet could. Um, so those answers would make sense to some it's degree. Pretty close, just not right on target. Yeah. So he asked them, but who do you? You know, you guys that have been around me for the last two two and a half years now. Who do you all say that I am? My true disciples. And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he is. And I love how he says it in in Matthew's gospel, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, That that gives me chills. Um, Amen. Just just go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, This is such a good moment because Peter... I mean, he he has his shortcomings, but you can just imagine his personality too being so forward like he is. Yeah. He's just like you're the Christ. Yeah, he, like everybody's like, should we say it? Should we say it? And at this point, I don't think anyone said it. Uh, right. Well, you and and you and me are are we probably relate to Peter uh, more than uh, as as much as anybody else because uh, we're ever over, could. overly brazen. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and there's just the, he's also probably the kind that's like. He doesn't want there to be long, awkward silences, like probably maybe looking around. Okay, guys, I'm going to say it. You're the Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm convinced of it. You are the Christ. You're the one that we've been reading about. There's, there's just too much evidence to go against that. Verse 30. This is, this is interesting. Jesus doesn't say, bingo, bango. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Instead, verse 30, he strictly charges them to tell no one about him. Just almost picture him doing like a little shush, like yeah. you're the Christ, and he's like, mm. now it's not time yet. Now this is why this is maybe where we would probably be like, well, come on, Jesus. I mean, all right, we've been giving the disciples a hard time to this point because they don't seem to get it, but all right, they've got it right. 
Peter's got it. He's got it. He's able to see. He understands. Let him go tell it. Let him share it. Let him spread the gospel now. Well, I think the reason Jesus doesn't want Peter going and saying all that is because Peter actually doesn't quite get it. Exactly. And that's what happens next. Verse 31. Now, real quick. We can say, Jesus, you're the Christ. Jesus, you're the Christ. Jesus, you're the Christ. But where's our heart? And are we still in that spiritually muggy state and yeah. blurry? Yeah. And even though Peter knows this, he can kind of make out, yeah, there's the Christ. He doesn't know what all that means, like you said. He doesn't. And we see ample evidence of that uh, starting in this section beginning verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus, here's here. If, if actually, if you're going to make kind of the the pivotal centerpiece verse of the Gospel of Mark, it probably would be verse 31, mm-hmm. where Jesus is now just spelling it out. This is what I have to do. And look at the emphasis on that word "must." Must suffer these things. Must suffer it at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Those three uh, categories of people: elders, chief priests, and scribes. That is the people that make up the Sanhedrin Council. Yes. So this is Jesus going up against the you know the tippity toppity of the, the the Jewish establishment. He's going to be killed by them, and that after three days I'm going to rise again. Notice verse thirty two, and he said this plainly. Yeah. You know, up to this point, Jesus has he, he's talked about this a little bit in in metaphor and kind of some prophetic language and a little bit of kind of parable kind of talk. Back in chapter 2, you remember he talked about the bridegroom is going to be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And many of them were maybe sitting there going, Okay, okay, bridegroom, I don't really get that. But now he's just like, I'm cutting all that out. Yeah. I'm going to be killed by these people. I'm going to name you the people that are going to kill me. Yeah. And I'm going to die. And after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. So just putting absolute clarity on what his mission is here. And look at the last part of verse 32. Yeah. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And it's so, it's just, because this is Isaiah 53. And Peter would have had access to Isaiah 53. Sure. You know, and this is exactly what is described happens to the Messiah in that that passage. Sure. And And that's what makes it so... um, you want to bang your head against a wall, that Peter is taking Jesus aside now and is going to rebuke him for just saying what the Scriptures had always said was going to happen. Just try to... Can you even imagine what that would look like? I'm going to grab Jesus by the arm and I'm going to pull him Come to the side. Come over here. Let, let, me, let me tell you something, Jesus. And like trying to set straight the Son of God. I can't... I, I would like more details about this. Yes. And maybe in heaven we'll, we'll get some of those details. Just bring like it up Peter, to Peter and just watch him blush. Uh, yeah, come on, Peter. Go ahead. Just Let's do a reenactment right here. Well, let me see what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is clear. This is, this, and this is, this is the reason why Jesus didn't want... All right, Peter has this great moment where he confesses the good confession. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And think about Jesus, him saying that Jesus is the Christ. That ought to put to rest firmly and fully the thought that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's yeah. not his last name. He is the Christ. It also should put to rest the idea that you can rebuke him. He's <laughs> yeah. the Christ. What he's are the, you doing? He's the Messiah. <laughs> he is the anointed one of God. The chosen one. He is the chosen one, the one that God has brought. And Peter's going to pull him aside and say, Now, Jesus, no, you, you, listen, you don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> You know, th- th- this can't be right. You must be mistaken. Uh, it- it's it's not the way it's going to go. It's like I mean, it's like when the Bible, if the Bible had said, you know, red's Jesus' favorite color, there would be some religious group out there that's like, mm, oh yeah, no, it's blue. Yeah, yeah. You, listen here, let me tell you why it's blue. And and it's just like, don't argue with God. Yeah. Um, and and this is probably where I I I would have to imagine Peter still like the other apostles. When they think of the idea of Jesus, all right, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the King, all those sorts of things. And so what that means is, is that means he's going to be ushering in a physical kingdom. It means he's going to be by by force or by military or something. We're going to overthrow the Roman government so that this kingdom, you know, the, the, the Israel can be reestablished once again, and we can be the power in the world that God wants His people to be. Um, those are the terms that Peter's thinking in. Um, but that's not yeah. what the Scripture had been saying all along. You mentioned Isaiah 53, and there's a 
host of other passages yeah. that um, they needed to be fulfilled, or if, if you just use this language, must be fulfilled in Jesus. Well, let me tell you, man, we see both of Peter's best qualities just back to back right here. He is bold and willing to say the truth and be the first person to say it. Mm-hmm. We see that in Acts mm-hmm. in chapter 2. Uh, but he's also uh, a little bit prideful and a little bit too brazen yeah. and uh, does doesn't necessarily put his money where his mouth is sometimes. Uh, and, and that's what happens when your mouth outruns your feet. And, well, and I relate to Peter in, in, in that way sometimes. I know. And, and the, here's the sad thing. By Peter pulling Jesus aside and rebuking him in this way, he's in essence, he's denying what he just got done confessing. Yeah. He doesn't realize it, but that's really what he's done. Yeah. Um, and again, it's because he doesn't understand the fullness. He, he, just, he, just isn't, he just doesn't see clearly. And we've got to. We've got to get that. Yep. Um, so what's Jesus' response? Verse 33, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, of all the rebukes the Lord would ever say to me, that's probably like at the bottom of the list of yeah, I don't, the rebukes I don't I want, want to hear. hear that. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's what we've been saying. You're, you're thinking of human things, you're thinking in physical terms, and you're not thinking spiritually. You're not thinking in, uh, in God's uh, ways and, and, and having a spiritual outlook on these things. Uh, the idea here of, of him calling Peter Satan, uh, it reminds me of, uh, Mark's gospel didn't cover it, but uh, the other gospel accounts do about Jesus in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan. You know, one of the things that Satan offered Jesus was, hey, Here's a shortcut. If you'll just do this, then I'm going to offer you all of these earthly kingdoms. Yeah. And I wonder if Jesus kind of recognizes there's some of that going on in Peter here. You know, he, he, Peter, Peter seems to be suggesting that the kingship of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus is going to be established by some other means other than this really difficult means of dying and yeah. suffering and all of that. No, 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 Lord, it's going to be a different way. Jesus is rebuking that because Peter has essentially given voice serving as a mouthpiece for exactly what the devil had offered him all the way back in the wilderness. That's very true. Um, and we're just not going to have any of that, Jesus says. And uh, I just have to wonder how small Peter felt in this moment. And I, like I said, I feel for him because there's a pretty good chance I would have maybe said and done the same foolish thing here. Um, Absolutely, man. Yeah. Ooh, shudders me. Um, so then verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. So this is now not just talking to the, to, to the twelve. He's now going to talk to everybody again. If anyone, anybody, let me talk to you about discipleship now. Let me talk to you about my kingdom and what it means to be uh, in this kingdom. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is a terrible chapter division. We actually need to read chapter 9, verse 1. Yep. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power, so Jesus says several things uh, in this little section here that really is is pushing all of these people hard to to count the cost of what what being a follower and a disciple of Jesus is really all about. Yes, and he's pushing them hard to to make a decision. And actually, uh, this is the reason chapter nine verse one needs to go with this section. Uh, the reason he's pushing them hard to make a decision now is because this kingdom is going to happen soon. And we're not talking about some event that happened in 1948 in Palestine, as some people think. Yeah. We're talking about something that's going to happen in your lifetime, Jesus says. That's 9 verse 1. Yeah, so you need to make a decision right now whether you're going to be in or whether you're going to be out. And if you're going to be in, well, here's some counting the cost things that you need to do. And he mentions those things about denying yourself and taking up the cross. I, not being ashamed. Not being ashamed. Uh, being willing to uh, lose your life for the sake of the gospel. Um, being willing to, to just give up everything. Let's say something real quick about that, taking up your cross. Um, 
you hear that from time to time with folks. Yeah. When they're talking about just like a hard day at work. Yeah, hard day. Well, that's just my cross to bear. Yeah. Or you know, I got a, got a real difficult boss. Yeah. Or a kid, you know, and maybe a kid wouldn't use this expression, but an unfair teacher, mom, that's just my cross to bear, yeah. or, or, a, or like a discipline pro- discipline problem at home, like someone with a tough kid will be like, this is my cross. It's my cross to bear. Yeah. Um, sometimes even people that have like like a debilitating disease. Yeah. Um, or physical handicap. Well, that's just my cross to bear. Now, listen, I'm not trying to sound you know uncompassionate or insensitive toward those things, but that's not the cross. I realize we've kind of turned that into a modern day idiom. Yeah. But don't use that expression in any kind of biblical sense. Yeah. Because that's not the cross. The hardships and the handicaps of life, those can help us to be stronger disciples yes. in the long run. But the cross here is talking about the kind of sacrifices and trials and the difficulties that we endure because we are following Jesus. Yeah. And another thing, too, that I need to say about this, that, 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 cannot go uh, unaddressed. I think all those things, hard day at work, you know, debilitating problem, discipline problem at home, etc., on and on, all that, I, I think it could be part of it in the sense that you're, li- you're living as a Christian through all those things and you're trying to give glory to God through all those things. Yeah. And, and that there's an element of sacrifice in all those arenas. But I think ultimately what, what you're kind of getting at and I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that if you're not if you're if you're the kind of Christian that you're sitting there in the pew, and if someone with a, a, a just a weapon came into the church building and points a gun at your head and tell and and just demands that you deny Jesus right there, and you you would give you would give him up and you would deny him to save your own life, then they're not a cross bearer. And that from that point on, if if you wouldn't be willing to literally bear the cross of Jesus, then you. You, you just don't have it. You don't understand the, the fullness of it. And that, that to me, if we're willing to do that, means that we're not going to sin. We're going yeah. to resist sin. It means that we're going to... And then, and then it also means that we're going to do the right things. And it's not going to be something we're going to have to be pressured or forced into doing, like coming to services yeah. or praying or Bible study or whatever. Serving others. It's just going to yeah. happen because we've given up. We, we've we've taken all our priorities and we've put the cross yes. as the very highest priority worthy even of dying for. Yeah. So that's, to, to me, if that's if you're really serious about you want to be a cross bearer, then the rest of the stuff you, you don't have to be nudged too hard in. You, you might have to be reminded sometimes. Yeah. Those are the sacrifices we're just we're going to make uh, when we it, the whole basis of discipleship it really begins right there in verse thirty four it, mm-hmm. it begins with the denial of self yep uh, all, nothing else is going to follow until we learn to deny ourselves um, say real quickly about that expression in verse thirty six um, what's it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul interestingly don't know if you've ever thought about this interestingly no one who has ever rejected Jesus has ever gained the whole world. Yeah. You know? That's so true. <laughs> so, uh, and, and which says to me that people today, and people throughout all time, have sold their soul for a lot less than the whole world. Yeah. You know? And and even like the highest of celebrities and politicians, they still don't have it all. Yeah. And it's just, and that's the lie that Satan gives you, is if you just keep on just pursuing what I want for you, then you'll have everything you could ever hope for and I'll fill your belly and I'll fill your heart and your mind with all these things that you love. And then at the end, you see it, even at the upper echelons, the social elite, quote-unquote, they're killing themselves with drugs, spiraling off into all these wild controversies, and they're not satisfied. Not, Not with all the money and the power and X thing put in there, whatever you're pursuing. It's just not satisfactory. But yet I know several Christians who are totally content living out in uh, like a shack, yeah. you know, and they're just blessed and happy to just have breath in their lungs. Yeah. Real quick. That's the right attitude. Verse 38. Uh, here, this, if you're a social media user, this verse gets abused all the time. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, uh, <laughs> the Son of Man's going to be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Listen, if you don't share the meme that says this verse um, on your Facebook page, it does not mean that you are, are the person Jesus is describing here. Um, 
and people who Christians who are sharing that stuff need to stop sharing it. Yes, um, it's fine it, and it's good to use our social media and those those outlets to to profess Christ. Um, but let's not go around bullying others uh, with our particular. Um, choice of how we're going to profess Christ. Like yeah. you have to do it this way by sharing this meme on your Facebook page. Yeah. That's the way that you profess Christ. Now, listen, I, I'm profess Christ in in my way, which in many times, many cases, is going to be more effective than just sharing a meme on a Facebook page. I don't know. I've never heard of a single conversion that's happened. I haven't either. I saw that meme and it just it it just ripped me in half. I ran to the water to be baptized. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, and then it's probably before we close. It probably is just worth us pointing out, even though Jesus did not make these statements for this reason. But Mark nine verse one, uh, which we'll we'll double back on it again next week when we talk about chapter nine. But that is a great place to point out how premillennialism just doesn't work. Premillennial yeah. doctrine doesn't work because it teaches that the kingdom has not yet been established. But Jesus says it was going to be established during the lifetime of many of those disciples who were standing there right with them. Here in you know the year thirty three A.D. Absolutely, so, and we kind of hinted on that earlier, but yeah, but but it's worth saying because it's so common of a doctrine. One last thing that I would I just want to say, and it's kind of a challenge for anybody who's listening, is: Are you ashamed? Yeah. Are Are you? Do you live your life in an ashamed way? Like, do you hope that no one challenges your faith, or do you hope that you're given an opportunity to teach someone? That what What's your attitude in that? Yeah. And actually, that needs to be more than just like a, uh, that's going to be my challenge for the week. Like, um, Jesus says, that's one of the tests of actually being a disciple. Yeah. That you know? went right up there with cross-bearing. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is in the same boat. And if you ain't about this, you need to be about it. And that doesn't mean you have to run around sounding a trumpet. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Right. But it's, I'm eager to say, I've given my life. Yeah and devoted my life to Christ. I'm eager to say that, and I'm not afraid to say it. I don't care what group I'm in. They, they could be ready to crucify me, and I'll say, I love Jesus Christ with my whole heart. And that's, that, that I, I just don't think we need to be ashamed of that. And the culture is trying to shame us for it, and, and we just can't be. No, that's right. And that's a good note to go out on. Um, looking forward to talking about chapter 9 next week. Um, and I just preached on chapter 9, at least part of it, uh, recently, so it's still fresh on my mind. Anything else on chapter 8 before we close? Definitely not, but I do love everyone. All right. I love you too, and the Lord loves you. That's probably the most important thing. So oh, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to chapter 9 next week.